Hey, we're glad that you're here today, and uh, welcome to Palm City Church. Again, if this is your first time, we're glad you're here. This is the part of the service where we look to God's Word to, to nourish us and to strengthen us for the week at hand, the week ahead. I know you have a lot of texts to send. You have a lot of emails to send and receive. You have a big task list to accomplish this week, but we do honor you for pausing on the Lord's day and coming and putting God first in that way. I believe when we honor God by giving him the first of our day and the first of everything, it really creates room for God to bless the rest of our week and the rest of our life. I really believe that. And before we dive into God's word, uh, I wanted to give you a couple of reminders about, about what's happening. Uh, always want to share what's available to you as a church family as we navigate different seasons. And as we come with the, the school year closing, and all the teachers said a big amen, all the parents said a big oh my, come on parents, what are we going to do with them all day, okay? So um, pray, pray for your boy. I got three and uh, love them to death, but I'm trying to figure out what we're going to do with them all day. But as that season is coming to an end and we step into summer, we want to share a couple of things that will be available to you and, uh, and, and we encourage you to be a part of it. The first is city groups. City groups are the relational component of our church. Obviously, services are as relational as we can make them within 70 minutes, one day a week. But our dream and our heart is that all of us, 100% of us, would find groups and little, little uh, tribes and crews and places that we can connect relationally with each other between the Sundays. My life ultimately changed the most in a circle of men who were calling the best out in my life and calling me to a standard God has set for me. And, and obviously services are catalytic to that moment, but we need relationships, men calling men up, married couples, encouraging married couples, women calling women up and all the different types of groups in between. Today we are hosting our final city group training. If you want to know what that's all about, then come to our kids areas at 12 p.m. We'll do our last training before we step into the summer season of city groups. I want to, I want to remind you of that because it's an amazing, amazing experience. And I just want to remove the obstacles because I know it takes a lot of faith to come into a room like this. And then sometimes it can take even more faith to show up at a restaurant with people you don't know or to somebody's house. It, you could be like, oh my gosh, this is so awkward. But listen, if you will step out in faith, I'm telling you, not only will you experience life-giving community, but I believe you will have a new level of spiritual traction in your life that you've been unable to get before this point because you were made to do relationships with other people. You were not made to do life alone. So city group training is happening today. We'll keep you an hour, not a minute longer. We've got snacks and we'll provide childcare. So come check that out. And the next week, this is very important. This is an all call for our church. We are having Serve My City Sunday edition, okay? So Serve My City is when we practically love on the city. We, we show them the love of God in practical ways by being Jesus's hands and feet. Sometimes that's cutting grass. Sometimes that's Mr. Miyagi, paint the fence. Come on, somebody. But we are practically loving by meeting needs 
that other people and other organizations who are doing great causes and making a great impact in our community, we take time to do that uh, as, as God opens doors. This coming Sunday on Memorial Day weekend, we are not just going to attend church. We are not having in-person services. We are going to be the church. Hey, there's a novel idea for you. So we're still going to worship. We're still going to have a word. We're going to gather together, rally at 9 a.m., and then we're going to go across the city over two or three different projects of your choosing, and you're going to put on a, a surf shirt. Come on, it's yours to keep. It's going to be a good fit and a good look. We've worked hard on that. But more importantly, we're going to love on the community. We have family-friendly projects. We have projects for the men who want to get some tools out and drill some stuff and cut some stuff. we got all kinds of projects. So the point is, come on, be a part of it. Be a part of it. One of the highlights of your week will be making a difference in the lives of others. I'm telling you, nothing on paper in your life may change within that couple of hours. But I'm telling you, God made you to be fulfilled when you are living a life of service. It's the language of heaven, a life of service. We're going to do that next week. It's going to be amazing. After service today, you can visit our tent and sign up for whatever project you want. We'll, we'll share QR codes throughout the week as well. But listen, be a part of it. It's going to be a great day. Don't miss it. Serve my city. Say, serve my city. Serve my city. Say, I'll be, there. I'll be there. Okay, don't lie. You just said it. You said it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Listen, go ahead and grab those message notes. We are a message note-taking church. Not only does it make you more spiritual when you write things down, I kid, I kid, that's not true, but it does help us retain, and I believe God can not only speak just the words we're saying together, but I believe God can speak to you individually. How many know his word is alive? His word is living and active, and it can speak to our lives, but we are concluding a series that I've absolutely loved. I hope you've enjoyed it. But it's been just such a blessing to study the relationship between Scripture and science. How many know God's the God of science? Yeah. That it's not the two separate. No, science is just uncovering what God's always known. Okay, so the two are related. And we've been diving into what does the Bible say about our minds? Well, Scripture says a lot about it. And science is kind of catching up with God. And so we've been diving into topics like depression and how do we control the negative thoughts that we have in our mind. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that we all struggle with. It's not if we struggle with it, it's just to what degree, and the topic is anxiety. Whew, I just got anxious thinking about that, you know, right? Like, like we all have this feeling of anxiety from time to time, but here's the truth. Our minds are a battlefield. Wouldn't you agree with that? That sometimes we can either be in a good mood or a bad mood just based on what's happening between the ears. That it's a, it's a, it's a war ground. And so I, I think the enemy is fighting against us at a higher rate than sometimes we're resisting him. And so we just find ourselves in this conundrum of discouragement and heaviness. And with it being Mental Health Awareness Month, I know that God's word supplies a lot of truth. God's word changes things. And the Bible says, as a man thinks... So is he. So unfortunately, we don't become what we want to become. We become what we think about most. And what comes into our mind doesn't go away. It's not trivial. It's not like we can compartmentalize it. No, what comes into our mind does come out into our life in some way or another. And so our theme verse for this, script, for this series has been 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, where Paul said this. He said, For though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. 
Some of us need to change the way we're fighting battles, change the way we're arguing with people on Facebook, like chill out. That's not how we do it as followers of Jesus. Verse 4, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. The Bible says, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We talked about that in week one. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And what do we do? We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So we don't let every thought we think live. We don't give it real estate. We don't let it set up residence. No, we filter it through God's word. And if it doesn't pass the Bible test, it's out. We take it captive by saying that thought may be real, but that thought is not true. And so we have to look to God's word in order to do that. Now, this has been a four-part series. Week one, we talked about, hey, you're in a war. Doesn't, it doesn't really matter what you think about having or not having a spiritual enemy, because you do, okay? Whether you believe in the devil or not, he does have a counterfeit plan for your life, and he is working on it right now. That's not the question. The question is, are we working on engaging with God's plan to overcome him? We talked about that in week one. Week two, we talked about biblical meditation. It's not Eastern meditation, which is emptying your mind so you can center. Biblical meditation is about filling your mind with God's perfect law and God's perfect truth so that you can discern what's good, what's noble, what's right, what's praiseworthy, and what direction your life should go. Week three, we talked about the principle of reframing, that we don't filter our lives and our challenges through the goodness of God alone. No, we don't let our circumstances tell us that how much God loves us or not. No, no, no. We let our circumstances let us know that in spite of them, God still has a plan, that God is still good, that God can take hardship and challenges, and he can mastermind a plan to get us through it and even get us on the other side better than we could have ever expected. Somebody say amen. 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 Today, I want to talk about the topic of anxiety. And we've titled this message, Help! I'm Anxious. Here's some statistics for you. One is 40 million adults suffer from an anxiety disorder. That's one in five Americans. So on average in this room, that means 30 of you don't just have anxiety, but it's at the level of a disorder. It's causing dysfunction. It's causing you to be altered in your plans given the severity of the anxiety in your mind. People with anxiety are three to five more times to go to the doctor. They are six times more likely to be hospitalized. The age group affected most by anxiety are ages 30 through 44. Come on, parents. We, we know it's them kids. It's them kids. Check it out. 25% of kids between the ages of 13 and 18, one in four, are at the level of mental diagnosis with anxiety. 13 to 18. I was just trying to beat Super Mario 3 at 14. These guys are struggling and grappling with anxious thoughts that are making them make poor choices. And the church of Jesus Christ has to step in and say, not on our watch. Which, by the way, on June 5th, we are having a parent meeting for all student age 
parents to where we're going to talk about what our plan is with our students as we head into summer 2022. We have city groups for them. We also have some other things in the work to help complement and give them alternatives for their time schedules so that they don't have to live in the anxiety of their disorder, but they can come into knowing how God made them and they can start living out God's purpose for their life. So mark your calendars for that. It's going to be a lot of fun. We can't wait to talk about it. But here's what anxiousness is in my definition. It's when we feel pulled in different directions. It's the tension we feel between hope and fear. I hope this happens, but I'm afraid this will actually be what happens. It's a tug of war in our heart, which based on the severity of that gap between what we hope happens and what we fear will likely happen is the significance of the anxiety in our life. What makes us anxious? Somebody shout everything. <laughs> everything! Right? If we're a student, it's, it's the bad grade. Will that affect where I go to college? Will that, will that impact what college accepts me? If I'm accepted, can I even do good there? Will I have friends there? Maybe it's in the area of a job. Hey, I need a job. I'm anxious about not having one. Maybe I have one, but I need a new one. And I'm anxious about, will God open that door? Maybe it's, I want to just grow within the one I have, and I'm anxious that I don't have the goods and the qualifications to be able to progress in the, in the field of study God has me. It's anxiety in all these areas of our life. Some of us, it's about being married. Some of us have anxious because we are married, and we don't know how to be a husband. Help! I'm anxious. She talks a lot. And I need help of when to respond and when not to. Come on, we need a men's conference for that, okay? So, some of us are anxious about, will, will, are we marryable? Is that even a word? Will anybody ever love us to the degree they would commit their life to us? It can cause anxiety. All relationships, our kids, their friend groups. Oh, my gosh, they have friends. Yay! Oh, God, are they the right friends? I'm worried. I'm concerned, right? There's all these areas of anxiety in our life. Maybe, maybe it's your kids. You're just approaching that age where they're going to get braces. Them teeth are crooked, and you know that orthodontist is coming for 2000 of your dollars, and you don't have the money to pay it. So you're thinking, maybe I'll resort to a life of crime. But that wouldn't be good because then I would go to jail. But I would be able to adult very quietly in jail. Oh, my gosh, that makes my head hurt. Speaking of my head hurting, is that a brain tumor? Right? We just... I'm telling you, our minds can spiral out of control. I don't, do you ever, does that ever happen? Like you just find yourself in a, in a pit, in a ditch, and you're like, what happened? I was just thinking about breakfast, and now I'm committing my life, of, a life of crime. What, what is raging within me? But these are real things that happen in our life. And scientifically speaking, there's a part of our brain called the amygdala. Now, it made me think of uh, Bobby Boucher and the water boy. Does anybody remember that? If you probably... Uh, the medulla oblongata. That's what I thought about when I was studying. If you're not born before 1998, you won't get it. You'll have to look it up. But us OGs know, right? But I was thinking about the different parts of the brain as we were studying for this message. And the amygdala part of your brain is very interesting because it is the part that's wired for survival. So it's the part that when you, when you, when you see a snake, you're like, ah, run, snake. It's kind of the warning system that that goes off when someone's beside you and you see them texting while they're driving, you're like, I gotta speed up, I gotta, I gotta swerve, oh my God, right? It's that, it's that um, hypersensitive, hyper-emotional learning part of your brain that alerts you when things are going on. And a lot of times it can be where anxiety starts if we don't have some type of plan because there's another part of your brain called the prefrontal cortex. 
Now, here's the problem with the amygdala. The amygdala is not objective, and it almost responds based on pre-programming. So if you've ever had even an experience that's not a fight or flight type of moment, but let's say you've had an experience of a, a, a relational experience and it turned out bad, that's somehow programmed in your amygdala. So when you're in another relationship setting, even though it can be click, completely different, your default response is based on your experience and the amygdala takes over. But God gave you another part. It's kind of like the, the logical part of your brain called the prefrontal cortex. And a lot of times what we don't do is we emotionally make decisions and we're emotionally driven too much instead of adding some logic into the mix and even logically looking into God's word. And God already hardwired these things into our brain to create filters and balance. And a lot of times what happens is the enemy will get you emotionally charged and he will hijack your amygdala where we need to get the prefrontal cortex to grab the amygdala by the tail and put it at the foot of cross and say, I'm gonna take thoughts captive. I'm not gonna live with a hijacked amygdala, okay? Come on, you didn't even know you was gonna hear about amygdala in church today. But the interesting thing about it is, you know, we can have these alarms in our life. So our amygdala goes off when we hear a noise at night, and it says, you're going to die. It's a burglar. And your prefrontal cortex wakes up and says, no, that's the cat. Chill out. Right? We, we need both, but we need them working in tandem. And I'm afraid that the enemy has hijacked our amygdala and silenced our prefrontal cortex, much less has allowed us to get to God's word to find some real healing and help from these. But, but we can't blame it all on science. We can't blame our anxiety all on just the chemistry of the brain. It has a, a lot to do with it, but sometimes it's just from an unrealistic pace. <laughs> we are running and gunning. We are living life at an energy level we were not designed for. We are over-caffeinated, over-stimulated, and over everything else in our society. We are burning the candle at both ends, as people say. And, and I really believe it's because we have a misguided view of success. We think if we have more, we're successful. If we can do more, that's defining us as successful. But what do we end up doing? We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like because we're caught up in culture's pace of hurry. But the Bible comes along in Proverbs 19 and says, ignorant zeal is worthless. Haste makes waste. You need to remember that today, that hurry is the enemy of peace. You weren't made to run at the pace that many of us are running for a long period of time. Now, I want to qualify this because there are seasons of life where we have to grind. This is not a license to sit on your hand and just say, Jesus is going to handle everything. No, he wants a partnership. But what we do have to remember is we weren't made for seven days a week at 24 hours every week of our life. We need to have a Sabbath day. We need to have some Sabbath moments where we can calm ourselves, be still, and know that he is God. But it's not only our pace that's messing us up. It's our ungoverned mind. Sometimes our pace can get to the point where we're so overcommitted. You know what we do? We just cash it all in. And we unintentionally remove the overcommitments. But unfortunately, we remove what we were undercommitted to as well. I believe a lot of us have said yes to some good things, but not some God things. And it's caused us and expended us to not be able to step into our purpose and our calling. 
And so what we do is when we feel overwhelmed and anxious, we just cash it all in, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But we, re- we need to reevaluate our commitments. And we need to level out things that are good but maybe not God in our life. We don't have to do 38 sports as a family. I'm just saying, okay? I'm not getting up in your business, but I'm just saying if it's causing rifts in your marriage and it's causing anxiety on a consistent basis in your life, I'm not sure it's worth it. If it costs you your peace, the price is too high. We're running at an unrealistic pace. But also, we've got to step up on some things we're undercommitted to. Because sometimes we throw away the very thing that's adding any life to us. Well, I, I, I got to get rid of soccer and I'm going to get rid of attending church. No, maybe soccer, not church. Okay, and I'm not saying that's because it's our church. I'm just saying because like, it, it matters. You can't throw out the baby and the bathwater. You got to discern between the two and figure out what your pace is. But also an ungoverned mind. Our mindsets are a huge proponent to our anxiety. The Bible says in Romans 8, people who were ruled by their desires think only of themselves. Everyone who is ruled by the Holy Spirit thinks about spiritual things. If our minds are ruled by our desires, we'll die. But if our minds are ruled by the Holy Spirit, we will have life and peace. I'm talking about an ungoverned mind. I'm challenging us to reconsider the eye gate and the ear gate. The Bible says if the eye is clean, the whole body is clean. But if the eye is not, the whole body won't have light. Think about the things we're allowing to come freely and wreak havoc by what we watch and what we listen to. For men, oftentimes it's the visual component. For women, oftentimes it's the audible component. We've got to be a church that doesn't say everything gets access to our mind because everything is not here to give you peace. Most things are stealing your peace. And we've got to reevaluate with a governed mind led by the Holy Spirit what has access to the mental real estate in our mind because our minds are too precious to leave wandering around. No, the Bible says we have the mind of Christ, the mind of a servant, the mind of a leader who loves when, the love, when those that you're trying to love are unlovable. And we've got to re-govern our mind with some new leadership. But it's not just those two things. It's an uncertain future. I don't, I'm not sure there's been a time in our country's history, and if you've lived long, maybe you would say it's all cyclical. There has been. But maybe in our lifetimes where there's been more uncertainty about our tomorrows than right now. And what worry does is it borrows from the future. And you're placing your worry on things that may or may not happen. And check it out. If you worry now and it doesn't happen, you've worried in vain. Even if you worry now and it does happen, you've worried twice. Might as well just worry once. Okay? Don't, we can't pay for something that's not here today. We've got to keep our minds governed and realize that we all have an uncertain future, but here's what happens. We just consume the news. We just consume social media. We just believe everything we read, everything we see, everything we hear. We let our minds run rampant, and then we are consumed with worry. What is worry? Worry is the sin of distrusting the promises and power of God. Essentially what we're saying when we perpetually worry, now we all worry from time to time, but when we're controlled by our worry, what we're saying is, God, I don't trust you. 
And that's why Jesus spoke to us and he said, what by worrying can you do? It doesn't even add a single hour to your life. You don't even get another Netflix show by worrying. Come on, y'all can laugh. That was my joke. That was... <laughs> worrying is wasteless. Even though there's lots to worry about, our health, our jobs, our families, the economy, is America going down? Is America going to recover? I don't know. Are my kids going to go to church? Are they going to come back to church? Are they going to marry him? Are they going to marry her? There's all these things to worry about. There's not even the big ones we think about, but now there's a list of over 500 phobias. Can you believe that? Listen to this. Glossophobia, public speaking. Some of you look up here and think about this, and it makes you want to vomit, okay? There's a uh, Patronophobia, being tickled by feathers. I mean, it, <laughs> please don't let us know if you have that phobia. I'm just Nomophobia. We all got this one, losing my mobile phone. Oh, no, no phobia, nomophobia. Chorophobia, the fear of dancing. Praise God, some of you need that fear. Phobophobia, the fear of having a phobia. You're just scared to have a fear. Right? There's all these different types of phobias in our life, and it's an unrealistic pace. And it's an ungoverned mind, and it's an uncertain future. And when we leave out the spiritual, we end up welcoming the anxious thoughts in our lives. Now, what's funny to me from time to time, because I even do it too, is how last resort we make prayer. How many will try every effort in your arsenal and then go, tried everything? I mean, I guess we could pray. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is not our last resort. It is our first response. It is not a last line of defense. It is a first line of offense. That's why the Bible says, come boldly to the throne of grace and find the help in your time of need. That's why the Bible says, you have not because you ask not. It's prayer that, to a God who made the sun stand still. It's prayer to a God who parted the Red Sea. It's prayer to a God who opens blind eyes. Come on, we need to bring prayer back in the local church that it's not just some spiritual discipline that only a few privileged Christians, super faith Christians know how to do. It's available to all of us and I believe it's one of the greatest assets we have and one of the most underutilized assets that we use in our life. I'm talking about the power of prayer. So we talked about biblical meditation, meditating and chewing on what God's word says and allowing that word to renew your mind and replace those lies with God's truth. We talked about reframing, that we're seeing our circumstances through the goodness of God, trusting that he's got a plan even when we can't see past our noses. And then this is the solution to anxiety. It is a life of prayer. People are like, well, I just want the peace. Well, here's the thing. Scripture doesn't say you just get the peace. It says don't be anxious about anything, but instead in everything by prayer. prayer. That prayer is the antidote to anxiety, and then peace is simply a byproduct of a life of prayer. Not only does prayer move the heart of God, but prayer changes the chemistry of the brain. There's a book called Switching on the Brain by Dr. Caroline Leaf, who is a neurotheologist. 
Get that, get that in you, okay? That is the study of a belief in God mixed with the chemistry of the brain. It's neuroscience. For decades and decades, they believed that the mind no longer developed after adolescence. But studies are showing that the mind is always hardwiring and reprogramming and rerouting based on what we are feeding it. And she said this quote in her book. She's a Christian, but she's a doctorate in neurotheology. She said, it has been found that 12 minutes of daily focused prayer over an eight-week period of time can change the brain to such an extent that it can be measured on a brain scan. Come on, somebody. The power of prayer, that it's not some mythical words you're saying to a far-off and distant God, but it is you praying and connecting and conversating with a God who is sitting, waiting to respond on your half, but put in his theology that he wasn't going to invade, but he was going to step in when you welcome him, and you welcome him in prayer. It's a conversation. But God already knew that. We said the verse, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and check out, here's the result, The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So what do we do? I want to conclude this series by bringing prayer back. Come on. Prayer is one of those spiritual disciplines we're either intimidated by or we're done in like 30 seconds. Come on, where are my 30-second prayers? Like I just prayed for the entire nations in 30 (laughs) seconds. Like I don't have anything. It is a muscle. Okay, you do have to work it, but you can't not start somewhere. You have to start where you are. And I want to show you through five examples how prayer is God's solution for anxiety. Are you with me? Okay, let's write these down. Number one, prayer replaces worry. Don't sleep on prayer. Prayer replaces worry. The Bible says in Matthew 6, Therefore... Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. What Jesus was telling us was the the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. It didn't say weekly bread. It didn't say monthly bread. It says daily bread. God may not give you the solutions tomorrow, but he will unapologetically, consistently, always give you exactly what you need for today. Prayer replaces worry. Well, what do I do with my worry? You cast it on the Lord who can carry it. Some of us are trying to carry it with God. You need to carry it to God. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He's the only one that has the strength to carry the weight of our problems. So many of us are trying to be the carrier when God's called us to be the courier. I am sorry that it comes to you and doesn't go straight to God. But God designed it in a fallen world that if you, if you got it and then you took it to him, he would take it from you. And your relationship through prayer would grow with him. Prayer replaces worry. The Phillips translation of that verse says this, you can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him, for you are his personal concern. I would encourage you today, church, if it's owned your mind, it's owned God's heart. Go to the Lord in prayer. Let him take your worry and give you peace. The transaction happens when we pray. The second thing 
prayer does is prayer relinquishes control. Ooh, I like control, though. How about this? I like the illusion of control. I'm really in control of nothing, but somehow I've agreed that I can control my outcomes. I love this passage that we're leaning into because I believe it contains a biblical formula of how to pray. In Philippians 4, it says, By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. What is prayer? Prayer is addressing God with the list of your concerns. What is petition? It's petitioning him to answer a specific way. God loves when we pray specifically. So we go to him in prayer, and we address all the things that are just messing us up. But then we specifically ask, Lord, I would want you to work it out this way. But what is thanksgiving? It's thanking God that he's going to do it the best way no matter what you ask. That, yeah, sometimes it's going to be the answer you were asking for, but God sees a bigger picture. So you might as well put prayer. You might as well petition him. But go ahead and be thankful that he's going to give you the best answer you could have never dreamed because he has the book on your life. It's a formula within these scriptures that we can look to because it allows us to relinquish control. How many are good at controlling their life? I'm not. I've tried several times in my life, and it always led to more issues. But when we pray, it helps us to be reminded that I can't do this alone, and I'm going to give it over to the God who is concerned about me and cares for me, and that he is going to help me live out the life he's called me to. But so many of us give it to God, take it back. We give it to God again, and take it back again. Has anybody been there? Like... That perpetual, I've gave it to God, but I'm still worrying about it. Obviously, he's busy. He's not handling it in my time frame. And I would say to you, in love but in truth, it can't be God's problem and yours at the same time. Decide today to relinquish control by inviting a life of prayer that not only replaces worry, but it lays down the need to try and control every outcome when you can't anyway, which causes more worry. Number three, what prayer does is prayer regulates our thinking. Oh, we need this one. It helps us regulate our minds. I'm convinced, as we said earlier, that the amount of the secular we allow into our lives is doing more damage than we may even give credit to. It, it, it's polluting our minds in such a way that I would encourage you, as I have every week, that over the next seven days that you would grapple with what you choose to watch and listen to. And not only limit the things you watch and the things you listen to, but maybe increase some things you need to watch and increase some things you need to listen to. So many times we see a life of following Jesus as stop, don't, man, too much, restrict. And we forget to replace the not so great things with the great things. So don't just stop doing a bunch of stuff, but realize that when I make room for God to move and put God in my life, that I replace the bad things with more spiritual things, and my life's not going to be perfect, but I'm going to have more peace in my life because I'm living a life of prayer, and I'm realizing I'm not going to be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition, I'm going to present my request to God, and I'm going to trust Him in advance that He's working even though I may not see it. And what's going to happen in turn is the peace of God. It's going to what? It's going to guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Does anybody want that today? Prayer regulates our thinking. 
Colossians 2, 3, 2 says, Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. So many times we see prayer as informing God of our reality. But prayer is also God informing us of his reality. That there is another mindset. That there is a higher thought. That there's a better way. If we can get out of our stinking thinking and think about the things of heaven, prayer isn't always calling God down. Prayer is when God calls us up to see from a different dimension. Prayer is us seeing our life from the rears, that we understand eternity is where we spend most of our life. So the trivial matters of today may worry me, but they're not going to steal my joy because I am living for heaven. I am not living for earth. So earth may be good, earth may be bad, but it's not going to rob me of my joy and peace because I wasn't made for earth anyway. That like Paul said, I am a foreigner passing through this life. I'm on my way to heaven, and I might as well start thinking about it now. Is there anybody in this church that says, I'm going to think about the things of heaven and not just the things of earth? Because prayer regulates our thinking. I will also say relationships can help you regulate your thinking. That you need a group of people in your life to help balance the thoughts you think. If you believe every thought you have and you don't have a board of advisors, some bros and some girls that can come around your life and advise you on what is true and what is right and things you should lean into and maybe some things you should pull back from, it's not just you and God alone. That God placed you in a local church so that you would have not just people to sit by, but you could find some community. And that's why city groups are important. You, you need people to help you regulate your thinking. Some of the best things I can do when I'm living in my head is text a friend and say, help, <laughs> I'm anxious. We talk it out, and what I end up finding out is most of those things were a false illusion. Most of those things were something I gave too much energy to that were beginning to have an impact on me greater than the reality of even if it did happen. It's not that big of a deal, but you got to have some people around you that can help regulate you're thinking. Think about the things of heaven. I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. It said, aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. But aim at earth, you won't get either. Number four, prayer reveals contentment. I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but how many times you go to God in prayer, even if you're just learning how to do it, and you just bring a laundry list of problems. You're like, uh, my, my wife does this, my kids does this, my job does this, my money does this. But it's amazing that as we pray, what happens? We end up only seeing how blessed we are. Is, has anybody ever had that moment where you're just talking to God and you're relationally connected with God and we, and we pray, but then we, we really didn't get any answers in that prayer time, but our perspective changed. I love David all throughout the Psalms. It's the largest book of your Bible. There's 150 Psalms, which is like an Old Testament word for songs. And he was always writing songs. And the first half of the song would be like, pluck their teeth, pull out their eyeballs, kill them, burn them. And then he'd be like, oh, God, you are amazing. You know, 
What happened? That God can handle even the ugly prayers. That's, there's a book called Lamentations where you lament. If you want to complain, don't complain to people. Complain to God. He can handle it. And then what happens is through that, he just hears you and he's a good listener. But then in gentleness, he begins to speak to you and nothing may change in that moment, but there's just a sense of contentment that it's okay. I have everything I need. That God is working in my life. He is my shepherd. That I don't have to be in control. That he is guiding me beside still waters. And he is leading me to green pastures. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Prayer reveals contentment. I got lots of needs, but my God is going to meet every one of them. Number five, prayer relies on God. When we pray, there's a new confidence that comes on the inside of us. Prayer is a relationship of trust that in Romans 15 the Bible says this it says may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him do you want to be filled with hope and peace you have to trust him how do you trust him cultivating a life of prayer the more I communicate with Kristen, the more I trust her. The more I communicate with you and you communicate with me, I bet our trust level goes up for one another. Prayer is the same way. That prayer is saying, I'm not relying on my situation and I'm not relying on my job to meet my needs. I'm relying on God and that my God will meet all my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Proverbs 16 says, those who trust the Lord, they'll be joyful. They may not have a perfect life, but they'll have peace. Everything may not be working out in their time frame, but they'll have contentment. They'll know God is on their side. And they'll know God is working on their behalf. Prayer doesn't move God towards us alone. Prayer moves us towards God. So what are we going to do? We're going to take those thoughts captive. We're going to renew our minds in God's word. We're going to place the enemy's lies with God's truth. We're not going to be anxious about anything, but instead in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, we are going to present our requests to God. And what's God going to do? He's going to see that we follow his word. And he's going to say, I'm not only going to give you the peace of God, but I am the God of peace. And when God gives you peace, he's really giving you himself. He's saying, I'm giving you all of me. I'm filling your mind and your heart with the spirit of Christ so that you can see your life and your situations through the right lens. And that peace will guard our hearts and it will guard our minds. And though we still may have anxious thoughts, we now know what to do with them. We pray. Would you bow your heads? Father, today we pray. We pray for the anxious mind in this room. I find myself in that situation more times than I'm comfortable admitting, God, but I thank you that your word gives us a formula. Your word gives us life. You told the disciples, will you leave me too? 
And they said, where would we go? You have the words of life. So today, God, we realize that you have the words of life. You have the plans of peace. And today, God, we pray that by prayer and petition, with an attitude of gratitude, that you are helping us overcome those anxious thoughts. We can't want to be an overcomer and expect not to have to overcome something. But today, God, we thank you that your word is true and that your word is strong in our lives. And we pray that you would help us overcome our anxious minds in Jesus' name. If you would, keep your heads bowed. And for those of you who are here, maybe you need to start a relationship with Jesus. In a room like this, maybe God has spoken to you and said, I can't really have access to your mind until you give me access to your heart. In the same way God has loved you with all of himself, he wants you to love him in return by giving you, giving him your life. If that's you today and you want to pray that prayer, I would encourage you to say this from your heart to God. Say, Jesus, today I ask for your forgiveness. Today I recognize what you've done for me. Today I thank you for your word. God, I open my life to you. I want you to be my savior. Forgive me of my sins. And I want you to be my Lord. I give over the control of my life to you. And I thank you for saving me. In Jesus' mighty name. And the church said a big amen. Come on, can we celebrate God?